Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that one day we will be around your throne forevermore. Lord, we'll never have to, to leave, never have to go home. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. Lord, just in your presence forever and ever. We can hardly wait. Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak. We don't want to hear the words of men, but the word of God. Lord, we come humbly before you, desiring to, to know you better, because to know you better is to love you more. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Keep praying for the building situation, as you know, if, unless you were out of town. We, we got approval on the building for Scotts Valley. And so there's a 10-day uh, waiting period where people can rebut or respond. And uh, then we, uh, we'll get our uh, 10-year use permit. We'll start doing some demo. And Lord willing, sometime in May, we'll be having church. It'll be great. Amen? Amen. So praise the Lord. Amen. Be praying, too, because I've already got a lot of things on my heart as far as Bible college, school of ministry, some kind of a school. We'll have to go back to the planning commission. We just want to get in there first and get things going, and then we'll see how God works. Amen? All right. Well, 1 John chapter 4. We've been looking at 1 John, this letter written by John the Apostle, the Apostle uh, whom Jesus loved. And John was writing to the early church at a time when they were facing both outward persecution and inward false teaching. Those who are proclaiming to know God, most specifically the Gnostics, that's where you get the word agnostic. Gnostic means knowledge. They thought they had a special knowledge. And because they had a special knowledge, they had a special you know, audience with God. And you had to come to them to find out the truth. But what the Gnostics were really teaching wasn't special knowledge at all. It was false knowledge. They were teaching things couple of their main tenets, and we're going to be looking at one of them this morning as we go through the text. One of the main things they taught was that since matter was evil, it didn't matter how you lived your life, as long as your soul was saved, if you will, you could just live like the devil, it didn't matter because your soul, your body was perishing anyway. Well, the problem too is that they said, well, because Jesus was perfect, he couldn't possibly have taken on a human body since human bodies are evil, so... He didn't really come in human flesh. And so that's one of the things they taught was Jesus didn't really come in humanity. He was was fully God, but he was never fully man. As we're going to see in this morning's text, for us to be saved, he must be both fully man and fully God. Amen? He's not man. He couldn't have died in our place so we might have eternal life. He couldn't have taken our sins upon himself. So he continues to address the, the early church dealing again with persecution on the outside, the time of Sears of Nero, and then people from within who are teaching false doctrine. So if you're a note-taker this morning, I titled the message, Defense Against Being Deceived, Discerning Between Truth, Discerning Truth from Error. He's going to give four things in the text this morning, in the six verses we're going to look at, on how we can know the difference between the truth and a lie. Guys, we're living in a time when there's a lot of people standing up saying that they stand for God, and what they're teaching is not biblical. It's not accurate. It's not the truth. And so this was, a, this was something that was applicable 2,000 years ago to the early church, but it's just as applicable to us this morning. 
So again, if you're a note taker, defense against being deceived. First, you test the spirit. Test the spirits. He's going to talk about that in verse 1. Check every message against the word of God, including the one you're hearing this morning. Amen? Why do we hand out Bibles? We hand out Bibles because I want you to read along with me to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Amen? We need to be accountable. The word of God is the authority, not the words of men. And a lot of men come along and come up with their own ideas and thoughts. But the exhortation John is going to say to them is tested against the word of God. Number two, listen to what they say about Jesus. You know, I used to spend a lot of my time when I would meet maybe a Jehovah's Witness at the door or different people, and you start to talk to them about end times or this or that. You know, and I really, a long time ago, God put in my heart, just cut to the chase. Ask them about Jesus. Where are you at with Jesus? Who's Jesus Christ? Is he God? Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the dead? Is he the only way to salvation? That's the answer we need to hear, amen? And he's telling them, look, when you're listening to these teachers, not only check it against the word of God, but listen to what they have to say about Jesus Christ. Number three, look at how they relate to the world. You know, as a child of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're in the world but not of the world, but those false teachers often face no persecution and their message is really one that is pleasing to the world. The Bible says in the last days, men will raise up for themselves ear ticklers. People will tell people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And then finally, the final point is by how they respond to God's word. Do they hear and respond or are they deaf to it? So let's begin in verse 1, looking at defense against being deceived, discerning truth from error. First thing we need to do is test the spirits. Look at verse 1 there of 1 John 4. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. He says, Beloved. If you go through the book, 19 times he uses this terminology. The reason is, John's bringing him some pretty heavy stuff. If you've been here through 1 John, he's not messing around. A lot of times you think of him as a disciple of love, but boy, he's extremely direct. You know what? I think that being direct and being loving can go hand in hand. Amen? If you've been going here very long, you'd have to agree with that or you wouldn't come back. But you know what? Those who we love, we need to speak in a loving way, but very direct way to them. And he says to them, beloved, because you know what? John loves them. And because he loves them, he can't let them sit in the midst of all this false doctrine going on around them and not address it in a direct way and exhort them to flee from it. The word beloved there is agape tos, agape tos. So agape is God's love. It's a selfless love, loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so he's saying to them that this is being written from a heart of agape love. I've told you many times when I discipline my kids, I will often look them in the eye and tell them, do you know that I love you? They know it's coming then. Oh no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) But do you know that I love you? Yeah, dad. Do you believe that I would die for you? Yeah, dad. I know you would die for me. Okay. From that heart, here it comes. Because they need to know that when we discipline them, we're doing it because we love them. And this letter is a letter of exhortation, but it's written from a heart of love from a man who had helped plant the church and who was a man who was being used mightily by God. Real, selfless, other-centered, unconditional love is revealed not only in words of comfort, support, and encouragement, but also in words of exhortation and even stern warnings if necessary. 
Real loving concern, real selfless love, not only comforts, but confronts. Not only bears another's burdens, but boldly warns them of potential harm. Real love is far more concerned with the other person's well-being than even their own comfort or popularity. Guys, we need to get to a place where we love people enough that we reach out to them and we share the truth with them. And here's the, here's the truth. If we loved people more, we'd share our faith more. Amen? The reason we don't is we're worried about being popular. We're worried about somebody, you know, not thinking well of us instead of being worried about where they're going to spend eternity. Or if we see a Christian brother or sister who's really struggling, again, we're not walking around being the self-righteous police, but instead being someone who loves someone enough to go to them in love and to exhort them with the truth. Every single New Testament writer warns against false teachers and false prophets. And the tool that, this is a tool the enemy uses to draw people away from the truth. And John is no different. He loves these people, and he loves them enough to deliver even a heavy warning if it's necessary in order to protect them from the traps that lay before them. So he says, beloved. But then, after saying beloved, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. John warning these early Christians, and you and I need to heed the same uh, warning this morning, don't believe every spirit. Don't automatically believe because someone is standing behind a pulpit, or you tune them in on the Christian radio station, or you're watching them on Christian TV, really hold on to that case, right? But when you tune in, be careful, because just because someone's wearing a collar, or got a robe on, or uses pastor, or reverend, or bishop, or pope, or whatever, in front of their name, it does not mean that they speak for God. Amen? Amen? And often they'll even say, thus saith the Lord, to kind of bring some heaviness to it. But guys, he said, don't believe every spirit. He's saying, you know, those Gnostics are there. Just because they put themselves in positions of authority, just because they walk around acting like they have a special relationship with God, and then they deliver a message to you, that's not enough. Don't believe every spirit. Just because a man has a big following, is charismatic, speaks with passion and conviction and authority, doesn't mean he speaks for God. But test the spirits. Now, what he's saying is don't just take their words at face value, but they must be tested by the plumb line of truth. And the plumb line of truth is God's word. Guys, this is why that the church is in the mess it's in today in America. We've gotten away from the word of God being the authority. Amen? Just this week, I was watching on television that they were voting on whether or not to make a, a lesbian woman a a pastor in a church. And you know what? I want to see every unsaved person saved. I don't care what sin they're struggling with. I want to see them all saved. Jesus loves them all. Amen? But that being said, we don't have to vote on whether or not someone living a sexually immoral lifestyle should be a pastor in a church because the Word of God addresses it. Amen? Why do we vote on things the Word of God has already told us are true? Because we've decided we know better than God's Word. You know, that's where the whole moral relativism, moral relativism comes from, where it's what I feel, what I think, what I believe. Guys, what you think, what you feel, what you believe is irrelevant. The Word of God is the authority. Amen? 
So he's saying to them, look, just because someone gets up there and they're a really eloquent speaker and maybe they've got a big following and maybe they seem very authoritative and they say, thus saith the Lord, you still need to check out and test the spirits to see if they are true. Notice the word there, spirits, is in plural. There's more than one type of spirit that dwells in and speaks through a man. The word there is pneuma, and it means breath or wind. And whenever it's not speaking of literal wind, it talks about three kinds of spirits that are in the world today. First of all, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's the one we want to hear from, amen? He says, test the Spirit to make sure it's the Holy Spirit who's speaking. Because the other two spirits that also speak, you have the Spirit of man, that's just our flesh. And thirdly, we have the spirit of the devil. The devil. I just came for a visit this morning. I didn't know we were going to talk about the devil. The devil's real, amen? At the same time, let me say this. We're going to find out this morning. He's a defeated foe. And we don't need to be delivered from this and delivered from that. We've been delivered when we were born again, amen? And as we're going to see, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we've got these three different types of spirits, the spirit of man, the spirit that is uh, the, the devil, and then thirdly, the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples uh, in Matthew. It says this, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The word there is pneuma. Who's the spirit in that case? I, see, you didn't know you were going to get quizzed this morning, did you? This is proactive learning, right? Hey, The Spirit there is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Nobody else is leading Jesus but the Holy Spirit. Amen? Secondly, though, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which spirit is that? That's the spirit of man. Thirdly, it says in Matthew 8, And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. It's the same word, pneuma, pneuma, pneuma. But in one case, it's the Holy Spirit. In one case, it's the spirit of man. And in one case, it's a demonic spirit. We must understand the context to understand which spirit he's talking about. So for us to understand which spirit it is, we must understand the context of the word. Guys, you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. You take the text out of context, all you got left is a con. Amen? And we see that so often today, where people take the word of God, they take a verse out of context, and they, they just take that sentence outside of the whole chapter and use it in a way that it was never meant to be, be taught. And what happens is you take three or four of those together and you can almost make the Bible teach anything. I had a guy use the example saying that, you know, the Bible teaches suicide. I said, what? Yeah, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go, therefore, and do likewise. I mean, that's when you're taking (laughs) verses out of context, right? And here's the point. The point is this. That's why when people struggle with a verse, you know what I'll often tell them? Keep reading. Keep reading. Read the next 10 verses and tell them if you still have a problem. Read the 10 verses before it. We need to understand the context. And so, too, what he's saying is you need to test the spirits. You need to find out which spirit it is that is speaking. It's not always the Holy Spirit. The spirit of man and the spirit of the devil, demonic spirits, are both in rebellion against God. They undermine the truth of God's word. What did Satan say in the garden? What did he say to Eve? He pulled her aside, appeared to her as a serpent and said, did God really say? And ever since that day, some 6,000 years ago, 
The devil's tactics haven't changed. He keeps undermining the word of God. If it's not Satan, it's humanity. Where man places his own wisdom above the word of God. We vote on it, and then we say that's more important than what the word of God says. How's that working out for us so far, taking the Bible out of school anyway? How's that working out? Taking prayer and the word of God out of school. Not so much. Amen? They're worried about the educational system. They're worried about all the stuff going on in the schools. How about we put Jesus back in school and let's see what happens? Amen? Context reveals which spirit is being spoke of. So too the content tells us which spirit is speaking. And often today people are wowed by the method instead of the content of the message. Just because something has a supernatural feeling to it doesn't mean that it's from God. Often people will come to me and they'll tell me, but I had this real incredible feeling and God can do that okay but I had this incredible feeling and then this is what God told me and then they tell me and it's blasphemous and I'm like God did not say that well yeah but I had this feeling so what what does the Bible say let me show you what it says in the Bible that directly contradicts that so I have two choices believe your feelings or the word of God let me think amen guys God can stir up our feelings. There can be emotion in our worship and our times with Him. But you better not base it just on emotion. You better be able to go back and confirm it in the Word of God. He has given us defined truth that is unchanging. Amen? 66 books, 40 authors, 3 continents, 3 languages, 1,500 years, 1 central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And the Bible does indeed rock. Jesus said in Matthew, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done wonderful works. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Just because there may be a great deal of emotion, just because there may be people getting stirred up and whipped up doesn't mean it's God who is speaking more than the method. We need to listen to the message. Amen. Just because it may wow you with the method doesn't mean that the message has come from God. Our foundations as Christians is not our feelings or our methods, but the truth of God's word and the gospel message that it proclaims. So don't be caught up in the latest prophecy thing or the latest miracle crusade. Or can God, Does God perform miracles today? What's the answer? Absolutely. Does he heal people? Without question. Does he still bring forth truth, prophetic truth? No doubt. But when he does, he will be glorified and it will be confirmed in the word of God. Amen? Don't be deceived by your feelings. You know how the Mormons are told to know that Joseph Smith's prophecy is true? They're told they will feel a burning in their bosom. Seriously. And you know what? That could be authenticated by the enemy. Amen? Or, or two chili dogs for lunch, right? But here's the point. The point is you better not be resting on a burning. You better be, you know, or there might be some burning. You better not be resting on that. What you need to be resting in is the word of God. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've, I've been blessed to be a pastor for over 20 years, and I still feel like I barely scratched the surface when it comes to God's word. I don't, I don't have time to be reading a bunch of other stuff. Let's just read the book. Amen? Now, the word test there in Greek means to test, prove, examine, scrutinize, 
to see whether a thing is genuine or not, to recognize it genuine after examination, to approve, to deem worthy, to test against a standard that never changes. It's the word used for someone that would examine precious metals to find out if it was real gold or fool's gold. And they had a standard that never changed. Guys, we have a standard that never changes. And again, it is the word of God. 1 Thessalonians says, test all things and hold fast to what is good. While it would be nice if Satan and the flesh would leave all the pulpits and the witnessing opportunities and every opportunity to speak for God to the Holy Spirit, wouldn't that be great? You know what? That's Holy Spirit's territory. I'll just leave that alone. That's not what the enemy does. We know that's not the case. And again, it was true of the Gnostics then and many false prophets today. It says there, test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right now, as we speak, there are false prophets standing up saying they're speaking for the Lord and they are not. And as we're going to see in a minute, and again, if you're if you're new this week, I would say it's not normally like this, but the truth is it is, so it just is. But here's the point. The Bible is going to tell us it's either of Christ or the spirit of Antichrist. There's nothing in the middle. And he says there are many false prophets out there today. Not everyone who says, thus saith the Lord, is really speaking for him. Not everyone who wears the robe or a white collar. Not everyone with a, a title truly speaks for God. It is often not the Lord at all, but the flesh of a man or a demonic spirit that is speaking. Why we must test man's word and line it up against God's word is Luke tells us the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures daily to see if Paul was telling them the truth. Don't you love that Paul said that they were more noble? Luke said of them, they were more noble. Why? Because even though they heard Paul speaking, they still checked out what he said against the word of God says in Acts 17, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. So the Bereans were teachable and they received the word with readiness of mind, but they also searched the scriptures daily to see if they were so. So why do we need to be so diligent? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not some, not a few, but many. It says in Matthew 24, And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. It also says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive even the very elect. All these are claiming to represent God. You know what? I don't like to be misrepresented. How about you? Do you like it when somebody steps in for you and then misrepresents you completely? We don't like that. Boy, is our God gracious. Amen? There are people for 6,000 years who stood up to represent Him in the most ungodly way, taught a lie, and how God shows grace and that He doesn't just smoke them where they stand. Don't you, when you witness to people, even now, people, what about the Crusades? And what about this? And what about the things done in Christ's name? And what about that? And, and I always tell them, look, don't look at Christians, look at Jesus Christ. Amen? At the same time, I would pray that we would live lives as Christians, that they would see Jesus Christ in us. Amen? But he says to test it, because there are many false prophets. 
All the world from the days of Jesus until now are those who are misrepresenting Him. And that's why we must test every man's word against the truth of God's word. Behind all teaching, there is a spirit at work. And the only way we're going to know which spirit it is, is to take it to the, the authority, the word of God. You might say, but he was eloquent, and he seems so godly, and he you know, draws a big crowd. Doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? Check it against the word. Amen? So, point number one in defense against being deceived, test the spirits. Check every message against the Word of God. Number two, listen to what they say about Jesus. Verse two, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, remember that I told you that one of the big struggles were the Gnostics who said Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He was more like a phantom. Because if he had taken on human flesh, that would have made him wicked, since the flesh is wicked. So he couldn't have done that. Do you see how things get to be a mess when you put together a position and then you change the word of God to fit your position? There are people that do that all day long. They start off with a position, then they change the word of God to agree with them. I think this behavior is okay, so now I need to update the Bible to get in line with me. Right? And we see it all day long. We have whole translations of the Bible. I believe this, so we're going to change the Bible to fit it. We don't need to change the Bible. We need to change to fit the Bible. Amen? The Word of God is true. Let the Word be true in every man a liar. Let God be true in every man a liar. By this, you know the Spirit of God. This is how you know when the Holy Spirit is speaking. If the one who is teaching is of God or is of the enemy, and it says, this is how you know, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So again, the context in that day was addressing the Gnostics' false teaching. But for us today, it would go even beyond that in a broader way. Their teaching was based on false doctrine and human wisdom and was in direct contradiction with the Word of God, as we know. They were saying that He didn't come in human flesh. And we know that because here's what the Word of God says. Philippians 2, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Amen. John 1, 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews 2, it says, for he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. We could quote another 50 verses. The word of God makes it clear. He came in human flesh. They came along and said, well, it doesn't really fit our theology, so we got to change the Bible. Lord, help us not to try to change the Bible to fit our lifestyle, but change our lifestyle to fit the word of God. The context, false teachers denying his humanity, and now we see that today, people still do that. Do you know there are still people that say that Jesus Christ didn't come in, in human form? One big group that does that are the Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not believe that Jesus was in human form when he rose from the dead. He was just a phantom or a spirit. Where in the world? Well, he walked through doors. That's true. He walked through doors. But then what did he tell? Who doubted? Thomas. What did he tell him? Come feel my hands. Remember that? 
Put your hand in my side. You can't do that with a phantom, amen? The word of God is sufficient. But sadly, people are being led astray from the truth, believing a lie because they don't study the whole counsel of God. Every spirit that confesses, the word confesses there means to agree with, to confess, to concede, to profess. It's the same word as 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to to forgive us. Guys, if there's been no confession, there's been no salvation. The false teachers were denying his humanity. And today we see people in a greater context are those who present a false Jesus. True prophecy and true teaching will present a true Jesus. So how big a deal is it to present a false or substitute Jesus to believe some or even most of what the Bible teaches? Can I tell you right now, I get in trouble for this every time I say it, but I'm going to say it again because I believe it's in the text. You have to believe it all or don't believe it at all. Amen? But can't I pick and choose? I don't like that verse. I'm kind of condemning. I don't like to wind that out. You're not supposed to align, you're underline verses. Don't line them out. Amen? And too often what happens, people, again, my lifestyle becomes the authority, and let me fix the Bible. But guys, we can't, if we reject Noah and the ark, we're rejecting Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Because if we don't have Adam and Eve in a garden, there's no original sin. If there's no original sin, then we're not dying in our sin. If we're not dying in our sin, then Jesus didn't have to come and suffer and die on a cross and raise from the dead so we can have eternal life. Amen? So we've got to read all of it. That's why we study all of it. So what happens? Is it a big deal? Here's what it says. And verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of, what does it say? Antichrist. Now, antichrist can mean the opposite of Christ, but really, it can also mean in place of Christ. It's the position of making a substitute, putting someone in Jesus' place where only he belongs. We cannot reject him at all or in part. What do the cults do today? They all have one thing in common. Here's what they all have in common. Make God less and man more. Every one of them. You're going to be God of your own planet one day. Really? Have as many wives as you want. Sounds pretty good. I sign up for that. I'm be God of my own planet? Wow. You know what they say though? Our God, Elohim, used to be a man on another planet who got to be God of this planet because he was a good man on that planet. That's a man-centered doctrine. Amen? But why do people believe it? Because they don't study the Bible. The Word of God would clearly tell you that that's not true. It's of spirit of Antichrist, making Jesus less, making God less, and making man more. How do you get to heaven? Not by your good works, but His great work. You don't reach up, He reaches down. Amen? You don't earn it, you don't deserve it. It's a free gift. The Bible tells us salvation is a free gift. If we earned it, it'd be a paycheck. Amen? It doesn't say it's a free paycheck or an earned paycheck. It's a free gift. God reaches down. Guys, we couldn't get to heaven through our good works, and that's why he died in our place. And the cults make it less. It's our good works. It's not the cross of Calvary. It's more based on what I have done. So in plain terms, those who view Jesus and see him as less than he is, someone who says Jesus is a good teacher, Is that true or not? Absolutely. 
But is he more than that? They say he's a good example to follow. Is that true? He's a prophet. Is that true? He's an angelic being. That's not true. He's a path or a way. Well, he is a path and a way, but guess what? He's the only path and the only way. See, what happens anytime somebody makes Jesus less, this text is telling us it's spirit of antichrist. It's trying to substitute a false Jesus for the true and living one. Here's the point. The devil doesn't care if you pray to Jesus, believe in Jesus, worship Jesus, as long as it's not the real Jesus. Are there people that are calling on the name of the Lord that don't know the Lord of the Bible? What's the answer? Absolutely. Why am I sharing this with you? Because it's in the Bible. Amen? And it's in there for a reason, and we need to hear it. To the Mormons, Jesus is the brother of Satan. The Jehovah's Witnesses, he's Michael the Archangel. To the New Age movement, he's an elevated guru. To liberal Christians who reject the vir- virgin birth, his resurrection, and his deity, those within the, or those even within the Catholic Church who say Jesus is a way because Mary is a co-redemptrix. Now, not everybody in the Catholic Church believes that, but if you do believe that, you don't believe in the true and living Christ. Amen? Guys, we can't change who he is to make it more palatable for us. We want to live in our sin and feel okay about it, so we try to make him different than he is. These are not minor flaws in one's faith, but they are of the spirit of Antichrist. Where should we start when testing the spirits? Here's how we start. Who do they say Jesus is? Ask them. Who do you say Jesus is? And again, I pray if you're here and you're new, you don't feel like you're being condemned or attacked in any way, but instead you're being encouraged to look only upon the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Amen? Because He is the only true and living God. Anything short of the true Jesus revealed in Scripture is to substitute for Him or to proclaim a false God. And such a position is both ignorant and arrogant. Guys, if you study history, there's more evidence for Jesus Christ than anything. Amen? What's the, what's the date today? March 22nd. Or, is that what it is? 2009. 2009 years since what? Since Jesus Christ. Amen? The atheist writes down Jesus' birth on his check every time he goes to... Amen? The point is that you look historically. They've been trying to prove it's not real, and they can't. Every time you uncover a shovel of dirt in Israel, you find the Word of God to be true. You know what you call people who try to prove the Bible wrong, who study it with an open heart? Christians. Amen? Because the Word of God is true. Anything short of the true Jesus comes from a place of arrogance arrogance and ignorance. It's an arrogant thing to think that I know better than God. The devil doesn't care at all if you serve Jesus as long as it's not the true and living God. So there are ways to test the spirits. And the way you test them, three things real quick. Is everything that the prophet says 100% accurate? If it's not, false prophet. Amen? If someone gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't happen, you know what they did to those people in the Old Testament? What did they do to them? They stoned them to death. We're showing a little more grace these days, amen? But there'd be no televangelists left. But here's the point. Sorry. 
But here's the point. Haven't you heard people predict things and say things and say, thus saith the Lord, and then it doesn't happen? And then they come up with an excuse? That's not, that's not biblical. It's not sound. The, the other thing you'll see, if someone is really speaking for God, it will agree with the word of God, it will be 100% accurate, and then finally, the person who's sharing it with you will have a life that bears fruit. It's not someone who stands up on Sunday and, and jumps all over us and then lives like the world the rest of the time. If someone's truly been born again, it'll be reflected not in just the gifting that they have, but in the life that they live. It says in Matthew, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do they gather grapes or thorns, figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. What is the fruit that should be evident in the life of a believer? What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5 says, And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If our life is reflected in anger and bitterness and hostility and impatience, it's a reflection that we're not really walking in the Spirit. Amen? The ultimate test, though, still remains, who do they say that Jesus is? So this is the spirit of Antichrist when they say he didn't come in the flesh. It's the spirit of Antichrist when they preach another gospel. It says in Galatians 1, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach another gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If someone comes and says, oh, I got a new one. I got a new word. I got a new message. I got a new path. I got a new way. That's not God. It says in the word of God, let him be accursed. Then it says, the rest of that verse, And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now is already in the world. Now the Antichrist is coming. And I was going to read it, but I don't really have time. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 later on when you get home. Read verses 3 through 10. And it talks about the Antichrist. And he will come and he will raise to power. And he's going to be the kind of Messiah that, they're looking, that the world is looking for. You know, it'll be in days like we're living in right now. I'm not saying he's going to come tomorrow because no man knows the day or the hour, but he certainly could. Amen. But when the Antichrist rises up, it's going to be in a time of economic disaster. It's going to be in a time where there is wars and there is no peace and people are starving and there's famine. And he's going to come in and have all the answers and he's going to bring the world together. Now, Pastor Dave's opinion, it's going to happen after we've been raptured and we're in heaven. And that's going to be part of what brings it about. But when it happens, when it happens, he's going to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted Jesus to be. They wanted Jesus to be a conquering Messiah, not a suffering servant. They wanted him to come in and overthrow Rome. And when he said he was not going to do that, they rejected him. So the Antichrist is instead of Christ. And we know that he is coming at the end of the age. But what he said is, that spirit is already here. And how do we know when it's the spirit of Antichrist? By testing what they're teaching. In light of what they say about the word of God, if they contradict the word of God, or portray a false Jesus in any way, it's demonic in origin. So, defense against being deceived. Test the spirits. Number two, listen to what they say about Jesus. Number three, by looking at how they relate to the world. Look at verses four and five. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, 
Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen and amen. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible, fix that. Amen? That's a great verse. We quote it often. Here's the context. The context is there's false teachers. They're teaching a false Messiah. There are those who have the spirit of Antichrist. But guess what? You have victory over that because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's the context. Guys, we as Christians do not have anything to fear. Let me say that again. We as Christians have nothing to fear. Amen? We have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to worry about. We don't need to be anxious. We can trust in God. He is faithful. You are of God. This is the theme of the next several verses. And then he says, you have overcome them. The word overcome... Speaking of false prophets, right? Make sure it's in the Bible. Overcome. The word there means to conquer. It's in a perfect tense, which means that it's been done in the past, but it continues in the present. Guys, we're walking in victory. Amen? We're walking in victory. We're going to heaven. Guess what? I've seen the end of the book. We win. Amen? And guess what? We're going there, and the enemy can't stop it. Now, in the midst of it, he'll try to tempt you. He'll try to render you ineffective, but he can never be inside of you. He can only be outside of you trying to draw you away. That means Christians, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, so we will never be filled with demons. Amen? You hear people say that? That's a big move in the church even still today. It was big 20 years ago where everybody was being delivered from this and delivered from that. And people will still come up sometimes and say, I need deliverance prayer. No, you've been delivered. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. Amen? To Talistai. Praise God. Amen? It's finished. You don't need to be delivered from the demon of chocolate or whatever else you're struggling with. Sometimes it's just plain us. Amen? It's just plain us sometimes. So, who have we overcome? The false prophets and the false teachers. As born-again believers, we need to never be, we, can, we don't have to ever be deceived. Ever. Ever. We don't ever have to be deceived by a lie. A lie of the enemy. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The only way we will be deceived is if we ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we stop reading the Word of God, and we open ourselves up to buy into a lie that the devil is trying to use to draw us away from the Lord. And again he says, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen? That means God lives inside of you. Now, I say this every time because there might be somebody new and I don't want anybody to be confused. You're not God. Amen? You're not God. You'll never be God. But he lives inside of you. And that ought to to shake us up a little bit. That means we're taking him with us everywhere we go, right? I talk about this often. Everywhere you go, okay, God, come on with me. Come on with me as I go to shout at my wife. Come on with me as I cheat on my taxes. Come on with me as I watch something I shouldn't be. Come on with me as I'm outside of your will. You know what, though? Praise God that he is with us because he convicts us and draws us back into right fellowship with him. Praise God for his grace. He is greater than any foe that we will ever face. This means we have nothing to fear. He has sealed us. He's assured us. He's given us a down payment on heaven by putting his Holy Spirit within us. And again, including Satan, the prince of this world, 
We were once dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ, and we've triumphed over sin and death. The enemy can tempt you, but he has no power over you. We need never again walk in fear. I'm so glad the battle's been won. And I praise God that I don't have to worry about being possessed by the enemy. I ran across this illustration before we go into verse 5. Let me read this to you. It's a, a story that came out of World War II, and there was a general... Jonathan Wainwright, he was captured by the Japanese. He was held prisoner in a Manchurian uh, concentration camp, and he was cruelly treated. He became a broken, crushed, hopeless, and starving man. But finally, the Japanese surrendered, and the war ended. And the U.S. Army colonel was sent to the camp to announce personally to the general that the, the Japanese had been defeated, and that he was free and now in command. And after Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some of the guards who began to mistreat him as they had done in the past. But this time, Wainwright, with the news of the victory still fresh in his mind, declared, you're not in charge here anymore, I am. Guys, the devil has no dominion over my life or your life if we've been born again. Amen? You've you've read the bumper sticker. Next time he reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need not be condemned, overwhelmed. We can walk in the fact that we are forgiven. We're going to heaven. And Satan, you know, Flip Wilson was wrong. Devil can't make you do anything. Amen? He can tempt you, but he can't make you. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. How do you know when someone's of the world? The world loves the message. You know, the Bible tells us the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. It's not a popular message, is it? Don't people just love it when you start sharing your faith with them at work? Aren't they just excited? Well, let me get a chair. Let me just sit down. Let me gather all my friends. Or do they all of a sudden start, have you met witness of people that just start getting really nervous? I've got friends at work. I start talking about Jesus. They, oh, I mean, I could talk to them about anything. You mentioned Jesus' name, they put their hands up. I have one guy, he puts his hands over his ears. Starts humming. Like, dude. That's proof enough that evolution isn't real, because dude, how stupid are you? But here's the point. But here's the point. The point is that the word of God is true, but because it's true and it confronts man with his sin, it's a stone of offense. But in the last days, men will raise it for themselves ear ticklers. We've got a lot of places where the word of God is being mentioned but not taught. And it's much more of, you know, they might tell you to hold up your Bible and repeat something about it and then put it away to never read it again. We need instead to open up the book and make sure it's in there and understand that man's opinions are irrelevant, but the word of God transforms lives. It's not joining a club. It's not looking for a better life or a better way. It's not looking for God to come and fix your stuff and make your house better and make you more money and give you more things. It's us coming, realizing we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior, broken and repentant before Him. Amen? And that message has left many churches today because it's a man-centered gospel. But we know often that the false prophets are going to be popular with the world. Jesus said in John 17, I have given, you the, given them the word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Again, 
just to make, to make a balance before we go to the last verse, sometimes people will say, well, yeah, I'm being persecuted for my faith. And sometimes you're not being persecuted for your faith. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Amen? I had a coworker that would walk by people's desk and go, you're going to fry in hell, man. I'm like, yeah, that's real effective. You know, the Bible says it's kindness that leads people to repentance. Amen? We want to take them to the cross of Calvary, but let's love people. Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't he love them, minister to them, care for them? Not walk around self-righteous. So, last point. Defense against being deceived. Test the spirits. Listen to what they say about Jesus. Look at how they relate to the world. And then finally, how they respond to God's word. Look at verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's what he's saying, quickly. He's saying... When the word of God is spoken, those who know God hear it, believe it, and receive it, and those who reject it are those who don't know God. Now, some of you can say this in your own testimony. How many of you read your Bible before you were saved and it didn't make any sense to you? Raise your hand. Half the place is filled with hands. You read the Bible like, what is that about? Probably flipped to Leviticus 19 and cut off the thing and... What has this got to do with my life? And you read it and you think, man, you know why? Because you didn't have the Holy Spirit, amen? And you'd read it and there was blinders over your eyes. And that's why, you know, I have a, several Jewish coworkers and I'll sit to that, go to, open Psalm 22 and read it to them. Psalm is in the Old Testament, amen? Isaiah 53, read it to them. Who is that talking about? I don't know. He was pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was lifted up, a picture of the crucifixion 1,500 years before there was crucifixion. How is that possible? Because it's the Bible and God wrote it. Flipping them to Malachi and Micah and other places. Look, it says where Jesus would be born. Where's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah you're waiting for going to be born? Where's he going to be born? Uh, Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Oh, no, I'm not buying that. You know what it is? There's blinders. The word of God is delivered and they don't want to hear it. Why? ignorance and arrogance i want to be in charge of my own life i don't want to bow to almighty god john 8 says he who is of god hears god's word therefore you do not hear because you are not of god that's what jesus said the word to know there knows god hears him the word know is gnosko which means to know by experience guys we don't know about god we know him amen We don't know about a faraway, distant God. We have intimate fellowship with Him. If you don't have that this morning, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. But true salvation will be borne out not just in a momentary confession, but a lifetime transformation. Amen? It will begin with confession, but it will be seen in a life that has changed and transformed. If a person has not been born of God, they're going to have a hard time receiving spiritual truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know him, because they are spiritually discerned. You know, as Christians, we need to not only be prepared to share the word with others, we need to be prepared to hear it. When you come on Sunday, can I encourage you? I hope we're not running in here at the last minute and... You know, we get to the movies on time to get popcorn, amen? Is God more important? But guys, can I encourage you when it come, 
just a, my own personal opinion. I really encourage you, take notes. Come ready to hear from God. Come ready to receive from Him. Read. The, you know where we're going to be. You know where we're going to be on Wednesday. We'll be in Genesis 47. You know that next week we'll be in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Read ahead. Pray that God will show it to you even before you get here. And then take notes. Be an active learner. Why? Because we want to continue to grow in our knowledge of Him because to know Him is to love Him. Amen? He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. So, in closing, the defense against being deceived, discerning truth from an error. Number one, test the spirits. Check every message against the Word of God. And I don't care who brings it, even if it's from here. You hear it from me, please check it against the Word of God. And if I'm outside of the Word of God, please confront me. Number two, listen to what they say about Jesus. Is he fully God or the one and only hope for salvation or something less? Number three, by looking at how they relate to the world. A child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The world to him is an enemy. But those who don't know God are of the world and speak like the world and the world hears them. And then finally, by how they respond to God's word. How do they respond? Do they hear it and receive it, or are they deaf to it? Someone who's been born again is going to receive the Word of God. Someone who does not know God is going to turn a deaf ear to it. So, can I encourage all of us this morning, and again, if you are new, be encouraged. The Lord loves you. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. You are so precious to Him. How you determine the value of something? By what someone's willing to pay. What did He pay for you? He sent His Son to die. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, I know this is a word of exhortation this morning, beginning with you exhorting me and then exhorting all of us here. And Lord, it's not our heart to be self-righteous or to act as if we've got the answer that nobody else has. But Lord, at the same time, I pray that we would not water down the word of God to try to be a more inclusive church. But Lord, instead, we would desire that none should perish, no, not one. That we would want to see Santa Cruz turn right side up for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that revival would begin, and would begin in our hearts first. Lord, start in my heart, start in each heart that is here. Lord, give us a greater reverence for your word. Lord, may we check everything that we hear against the word of God. May it be the authority in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not be so concerned with what men think that we're afraid or ashamed to speak your word with boldness. Lord, I pray that we would not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but instead, Lord, that we would realize that we walk in victory. The greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Lord, may we have an active heart to receive from you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.